Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guests' big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now, it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. We'll be back in a minute after a word from our premier brand sponsor, Wheelhouse, the ultimate revenue driving machine. We began using revenue management dynamic pricing tools, as I said, in March of 2020, because we got to the point in the growth of our company where we either needed to hire a person for rate management or we needed to bring technology on. For me and the way that I like to manage our, our, our rates, it was, it was just a better decision to bring in technology to help with that. That's Lance Stitcher, owner of Seaside Vacation Rentals. Lance and his wife, Elaine, managed 280 condos and beach homes in Ocean City, Maryland and Chincoteague Island, Virginia. This innovative duo has leveraged dynamic pricing and technology to 10x their business over the past two and a half years. We sat down with Lance to find out how Wheelhouse has played a huge role in this growth. Where exactly have the revenue gains come from? They came in all seasons. We trusted dynamic pricing and a, and a home that booked for 4000 a week all of a sudden was able to book 6000 a week. And we, and we really had a hard time wrapping our heads around that. But it began, it actually began to, to become the norm. Some of our properties in the off season, the owners, uh, the owners previously had notions of, of what their home was worth on a minimum night. And, and maybe that number was $300. And Shinkatig uh, and Ocean City are extraordinarily seasonal markets. The rate management tools are telling us that maybe that rate is is, uh, is is 140 during the week and 175 on the weekends. And had a lot of owners that scoffed at that and said, no, I'm, I'm going to hold the line. And I had a handful of owners that, uh, that said, okay, we'll, we'll try it your way and see what happens. And we went from doing in certain buildings, we had condo units that went from virtually nothing or $1,000, $1,500 a month to doing over $8,000 a month. Revenue management has become a critical element of Seaside's strategy for homeowner acquisition and retention. How does Lance use the information from Wheelhouse to help him win new owners and keep existing ones? We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Wheelhouse's spotlight on exceptional property managers. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we are joined today with Andrew McConnell, who is the founder and CEO of Rented, and also the author of the brand new best-selling book, Get Out of My Head. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm just happy I have a name that starts with A so that I can be invited here. To the, to the A-team. A team. Very true. Very true. A team is a select. It's a, it's a very select few that get to join us. Yes. <laughs> I think when we were when we were scheduling your episode, we kept going back and forth because I there's other people named Andrew, but I know big surprise, but <laughs> forgetting. I'm like, gosh, I thought we had already recorded with him. I'm like, right. yeah, that's Andrew McConnell. <laughs> but now we're, we're super excited to have you here today. And I, I, it's almost hard to determine where we want to start because I, there's so much with you with rented and what you've built there in the company. We just got back from the data and revenue management conference, which of course is very relevant to what you have, but I want to make sure we get some time talking about your book because I, as I mentioned before, we, we hit record. I took a lot of notes and there's a lot of things I just really connected with. So 
Before we get started, that's just a little prelude to get everybody excited for what's to come. But um, can you give our audience just a little bit of uh, background on who you are and, and what your involvement in Vacation Rentals has been? Yeah, so I my, am the co-founder CEO of Rented and have been in this short-term rental industry for 10 years now. I went back to, in 2012, some family friends were talking about VRBO over mm-hmm. lunch. And I didn't know what it was. I said, what's this VBRO? And they said, no, 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 VRBO, <laughs> Vacation Rent by Owner. It's this great site where we rent out our homes and we make all this money. Like, Man, that sounds amazing. You just put this picture on the internet and you start making money. But you live in Atlanta and your place is in Florida and you live in Boston, your place is in Vermont. How, how do you get guests in? Oh, well, I have a local person that helps get that. And how do you get it clean? Oh, I have a separate local person to do that. And how do they book? Well, I talk to everybody who tries to book. And I kept asking questions. So wait, it doesn't sound as easy as putting something on the internet. And making yeah. Money. Like, wait, <laughs> it sounds like you're doing a lot of work. Yeah. And he said, well, yeah, you know, I spend eight to 10 hours a week doing this. So eight to 10 hours a week. You're a cardiologist. You're a dentist. You're billing $500, $600 an hour. Yeah. You don't mow your own lawn. You don't change your own oil. Why in the world are you doing this? You're telling me they're not people who do this for a living? Oh yeah, there there are. And you think you do a better job than them? Oh no, no. Like it's a full-time job. They're much better. (laughs) Why are you not working with these people? So, well, because they, one, I think they charge too much. And two- (laughs) And that's why I come from doctors. Yeah. Two, they don't have any skin in the game because it's on commission. I just don't trust that they really care as much as I do. Mm. And I said, okay, well- but they don't have jobs without homes. So why wouldn't the homeowners all get together and say, managers, if you want my home, you have to bid against each other to tell me exactly what you're going to give me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, dummy, if there's a way to do that, everybody would be doing that. <laughs> everybody, is this a big market? And I started researching and it was very big and it was getting bigger. And this new company, Airbnb, was just starting to take off. And so I quit my job 10 months later uh, or yeah, 11 months later, and started a company, Vacation Futures, which was a marketplace that connected homeowners with professional managers. Because I, I really believe very strongly doctors, lawyers, these people that were not doing this for a living should not be doing it. And it should be these professionals and the best professionals should get the most homes. And so that was the the first marketplace. And it it started off and took off very, very quickly. And then it kind of plateaued. Why, why is this plateauing? Every homeowner says they want this. You know, yeah. if, if any manager is willing to tell them what they're going to get, they're five times more likely to sign up with that manager mm-hmm. and found it was because there were only a handful of companies that could actually provide guarantees, right? If you're only in Hilton Head, it's very risky to do a guarantee if you have a bad hurricane season or yeah. if you're in the Gulf right. and there's an oil spill or if you're anywhere in the world and COVID hits, it, it's a very risky business to be in. And so we were kind of capped on how many managers could participate in that. So then that led to the next business, which was rented capital, which was a product where we would work with local managers to go provide those guarantee to homeowners. Mm -hmm. So we'd say, Hey, we're going to work with you. We're going to hire you on a commission and share more of the upside with you local manager, but as another tool in your belt, in your tool belt, you can go say, Hey, homeowner, I manage on a 30% commission, or if you want, I'll pay you $3,500 a month for the next three years. And I get the exclusive right to, to manage this home. And so we ended up getting thousands of properties all over the world doing that. We had properties in Asia and Africa, South America, all over the U S 
And Cliff, you know, the co-founder of Acosta ended up joining and helping building that. And he said, you know, with all these properties, we should probably do more on pricing and revenue management. I said, well, no, like let the local managers do that. And he said, well, no, look, the people who are the best at guest experience and really care right, about that yeah. property care, they don't always put a ton of time mm -hmm. into pricing and revenue management. I think there's a big opportunity there if we started doing that. And I thought maybe we'd make five or 6% more. And we ended up starting building out the team and the tools. And we started making 30 to 100% more. We were wow. doubling the revenue wow. on the same properties with the same managers. Yeah. And so inevitably, the, the managers we worked with said, wait, can you do this for my other homes? <laughs> and we said, well, yeah, but you'd need to pay us because this, like, we're doing these for ours because we make the money on it. But right. right. And then we decided to, to make that its own business. So in 2020, right as a pandemic setting, we spun rented.com out as its own company. And the software we had built for our team, because we had used all the other pricing tools mm -hmm. and our team said, hey, this one is good except for these things. And this one's good except for these things. And so we said, okay, well, what if we just go build one that's good for all the things that you need? Mm -hmm. And so that's what we built our, our automated rate tool. And so rented really is the, the pricing engine for professional managers. We manage thousands and thousands of properties on behalf of hundreds and hundreds of property managers with our in-house team. And then we have the technology that they use that we make available to anybody that says, I don't want to hire a revenue manager. I want to do it myself, but I want the best technology. And so that's ART, our automated rate tool, or we have our full service revenue management offering. So that was a very long-winded answer to your <laughs> no, question. No, but very concise very though, too. And exactly. actually, I, I was kind of wondering how you were going to put all that together <laughs> in a semi-quick explanation because there's there's just been so much history that you've you've been through in those ten years. And reading the book, it was it was interesting to hear it back in a different lens of like not only what was going on, but then yeah. now you reflecting on it. You know, looking back, it's super interesting. And and I remember a lot of the different phases. Um, you know, I, I remember at Condo World receiving your postcards. You guys did a ton of direct mail back in the day. And yeah. I remember our owner even looking at it and saying, how in the world are they going to do this? How are they going to guarantee this yeah. revenue? And I, I think we had that conversation with you at, at ResFest or one of the early Vermas that we went to and heard more about it. And I thought, okay, like that's, you know, that makes, that makes sense. But I didn't realize though, that, so when you were doing revenue management, you were doing that just for obviously the homes that you brought to the to the company. So I mean you're you were still you took the original um plan of futures was it future stays? Vacation futures. Or yeah. vacation future, futures, vacation yeah. futures. The original premise of that to connect the property managers to the homes. But so you were doing it still on an individual basis that you were having homeowners come to you, ask you which company that they ought to work with. And you would determine how, how would you how would you determine in the market who would you refer them to? Yeah. So we did both. Uh, one, if a homeowner came to us, we would do our diligence in that market of, okay, from the data that we have, who's performing the best? You know, yeah, who has the highest? A lot were on guest reviews, hence mm -hmm. where the, the revenue performance wasn't always where we might have wanted or expected it. So it was, it was very much from a guest perspective of, are these the best homes? Because we thought mm -hmm. for the homeowner, for the guests, that's going to be the best answer. Um, we would underwrite it based on what is the potential rental income. And it was when we said, hey, I think we can capture more of this potential rental income that we started taking that revenue management on ourselves to capture okay. more of that value. So does that, so would you have to, in that scenario, did you have to like do projections every single year to get that underwriting for the next year? 
or is it just a few, like how, how does that work out? Yeah. So it depended how long we were signing the contract. So if we did a 12 month contract and it was up for renewal, we would reproject based on all the data we had then. Uh, there were times that based on a current projection, we could lock in a three-year contract. We could lock okay. in a longer-term contract. So it it just depended on each contract, which ended up being a lot of contract management. I, I was so going to say that's yeah, yeah. a yeah. lot. Yeah, That's, that's yeah. more than an algorithm to manage that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was not a pure software business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah was I was going to say. So you obviously, you found that your true strength in all of that is not only in connecting the dots, but in connecting the dots to revenue and how you now do that for companies, you know, across the globe, essentially. Um, What what do you see as, as the future of the industry? So much has changed just even in the last couple of years, but what are your projections for revenue management within Vacation Rentals? Yeah, I, I think a few things here. One, I think we're going to start getting better data mm-hmm. uh, across the board. It it was interesting to hear all the the pricing players out there saying, "Yeah, I just wish we had better data." And kind of looking over at Expedia, looking at yeah. the OTAs and the OTAs saying, "Okay, I think maybe this is something we could should look into of how can we create better industry sharing to get more clarity here because we'll yeah. make more money if there's better pricing and yeah. more guests are booking and all these yeah. things." So I think. That's going to be a big trend and and what we're able to do. I think also it if we go back to this being the fourth data and revenue management conference and that that wasn't really something that was highly talked about. There's a reason we took it on because it wasn't a discipline a lot of managers had. Yeah. Right? There, yeah. You kind of set your price in October and November when you sign your contract for the next year with the yeah. homeowner. And it didn't really matter what the trends in the market were, what demand was, or how supply fluctuated. So we've gotten further on people recognizing the importance of pricing. Mm -hmm. I think the next wave is really people understanding the importance and the discipline of revenue management, Mm -hmm. because that is different. It is a much bigger topic and bigger uh, ask and workload than just the price. The price is just a number, but revenue management comes into the strategy how you're marketing, where you're marketing, when you're marketing, how you, what you make available, when you make available. Uh, there's just a lot more that goes into it. And right now, because it's easier to just look at a number, most of revenue management has been focused on price. Mm-hmm. But I think that's this very tiny window into this much wider discipline that really has a ton of potential ahead of it. Yeah, we've talked to we've talked to a lot of people, and I think coming from so I started out in hotels, but moved over to vacation rentals, and then OTA, and then now channel management. But having been kind of full circle in looking at where we were as property managers ten years ago, we were self-reporting to some of these systems to say, "Here's what our ADR yeah. is." So you're kind of looking at backwards data. You weren't actually able to look at anything true going forward, but decisions were based on just you know, I called around, and this is what the competitors are doing. I mean, we're still doing rudimentary shops, and now to be able to have that raw data like right in front of you to be able to make decisions. Is, is really great. But then you have to layer in from a vacation rental side. It's not as simple as hotels. It's all the fees that we have in play. It's mm-hmm. the different types of units that you have within your portfolio. It's length of stay restrictions. I mean, there's so many variables within vacation rentals that it makes the revenue management aspect of the industry so complex that I don't think anybody's yeah. quite figured it out. But I think what's great about yourself and all the other tools that are out there is like, now we actually have 
real-time data. We can look forward. We can look backward. We can look at things that are going on true in the market where we weren't able to do that even, you know, five, six years ago to the degree that we can now. So Mm -hmm. there is a lot of opportunity there. And I think, you know, what you guys are doing at Rented through art and and through your team is you're really trying to identify those pockets of opportunity and, and help people, um, you know, understand where they can, where they can take their revenue management aspect of their business that they didn't know they should. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point in talking, comparing it to hotels of, if you think back to say Africa and phones and how, how long is it going to take to go get phone lines set to get <laughs> yeah, everybody on. Yeah. But Africa just leapfrogged. They just skipped the whole, hey, we need landlines and went straight to cell phones. And then everybody has a cell phone. So everybody got online and went straight to kind of almost smartphones, right? And so- well, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Well. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's the, the concept is leapfrogging yeah. um, on advancements. And so this is an opportunity where- we can leapfrog yeah, I love that. what yeah. the evolutionary path of hotels were. Right. right? And if you look at hotels, they're kind of four big brands that dominate yeah. Marriott, Hyatt, Hilton. Um, but and IHG, the, the reason for that was hotels and the consolidation existed pre-internet. Mm-hmm. So to get yeah. that concept of a quality standard and all of that, you needed this flag behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the pitch of, hey, this is the same thing's going to happen in vacation rentals. And I, I wrote a whole three-part series back in 2015 of this is the path that vacation rentals are going to follow. And I think what I missed and we were all missing was maybe the internet ended up making vacation rentals leapfrog that. Yeah. And that yeah. because of online reviews, I can get that trust. Because of online photos, I can get mm-hmm. that trust and that credibility without needing a big brand behind it. The yeah. brand is less relevant than what 150 other guests said about the place in these photos that are these real or not. Right. And so I think the same comes when you talk about revenue management of do we need back reporting data or because we're all online, mm-hmm. can we see real-time search patterns? Can we see real-time click-through rates and sorting patterns and all that? And getting access to that kind of data just completely transforms what the discipline of revenue management can and should be. I mean, it's like night and day to compare where we are right now compared to 2015 or anywhere, anytime before that, I would say. I mean, and honestly, you have to admit that COVID had a lot to do with that in terms of the new money and investment and just knowledge that was coming into this space to really transform our technology. And, you know, it just, it always seemed like back in the day, we were so far behind hotels. I mean, we were, there, there was nothing that was as up to date with what they were doing. And now, like you said, I mean, that's a perfect way to describe it. We have leapfrogged our deficiencies that we went so far ahead because there was so much uh, just, just interest in, you know, bringing technology to this space that for a long time was categorized as mom and pop. And now we are actually further ahead in a lot of ways uh, in our technology than the hotels are. So it's interesting to see how things evolve. I, I don't know that any of us could have totally predicted where we are right now. Yeah. Yeah. If you did, then kudos and yeah, Terry White may be the one person that probably identified it before anybody else, but yeah. You guys, yeah. Um, from rent to sandwich, do you guys work with hotels at all? Like independent hotels or. Yeah. More boutique. Yeah. Hotel. So if you're treating it more like 
uh, more like a vacation rental, so right. not not a big flagged hotel, but yeah, boutique yeah. hotels and things yeah. like that. We do. So yeah. you, you've grown rented. How many employees do you have? We're you know? we're still at twenty. I mean, we we try okay. to stay very efficient, lean and mean, yeah. but but a powerhouse within the industry for sure. And so to kind of transition over to the book a little bit, I know when we had our pre call, you had told us that you have always had interest in writing a book, and I think your first book you sent to one of your friends, and he said. Don't ever write a book again. <laughs> he, he was a little kinder maybe to that. He said, look, you are, you are someone who can do good things. Um, this is not that and this is thing. not do it. Not, do not spend more time on this book. This book is not where you That's need to not be spending you, yeah. your so, time. So fast forward from those days, which that was what, probably 15 years ago or so? Yeah, 12, 12, it was probably kind of 2010, 2011 time frame. Okay. Yeah. So you, long, you, yeah. got, you got the the bug back in your head to get out of your head and, and write this incredible book about stoicism and comparing your own life experiences to, to the stoics, which is something that I've always been very interested in. And more recently um, just, I, I'm a big Ryan holiday fan. And I know you reference him quite a bit in the book, but tell us about what made you decide to write this book. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about COVID once already, but uh <laughs> or maybe more than once already. <laughs> it was, it really was when it first hit, right? And you think about what life was like and kind of the headspace you're in in March of 2020. And it, it, this conversation with a friend from college who mm-hmm. said, man, with where financial markets are, we're going to have a generation of perpetual renters. These people that are stuck financially where they're never going to be able to build the means to own their own property, right? I'm working in an industry where the people I serve are owning multiple properties, yeah. but there's this whole group of people that we're never going to have that opportunity to even have one, their, mm-hmm. their own home. And that that phrase, perpetual renters, generation perpetual renters, really kind of sat with me and, and didn't sit well. And then I think because that, that phrase was around, I, I looked at what was happening, right? Like the presidential cycle, the looking at case rates, everything. Man, we actually, it's not just about a generation. It's not some specific age group. It's everybody that I see and include myself at times, we're living our lives as renters of our mind. And, and, you know, this idea from stoicism, we were perpetual renters, but of our mind. Mm -hmm. And if you go to stoicism, and kind of Epictetus and these others of there's only one thing you can actually own. And COVID was showing us our body. We can't fully, fully own like mm-hmm. a virus, bacteria, anything can come get you. And your body and changes too. Yeah. Over time, this body is going to change. Uh, physical possessions, they break, they get old. You could be a billionaire and government gets mad and they start confiscating yeah. things from yeah. you, right? Your physical possessions, you can't guarantee you, but your mind is that one thing. And yeah. yet we spend all our time focused on exercise or whatever yeah, it is ex- on our yeah, body the exterior things, or yeah. yeah, all the exterior things we never yeah. actually own yeah. at the, the cost and the detriment of the one thing we do own. Mm. And we end up giving it away, just absolutely giving it away. Uh, and just renting back the pieces that are left. And I said, well, that's that's actually the bigger tragedy. And having studied a lot of Stoicism and Taoism and Buddhism, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, there's there's something here. 
that I found personally helpful, right? I have these different exercises and uh, things that I do to try to address when I mm-hmm. am able to notice what's going on. Can I share that mm-hmm. with others? And in doing it, can I use this as a, a great platform to go talk to some really interesting people who are also doing some of these things and, and share their stories? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where the book came from. Yeah, that's it's, it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And, and like I said, I, you know, I joked, I'm not finished with the book yet. So no spoilers, but you said there's no spoilers. So um, I think it's, I think what I found like in, in the very beginning, and I and talked to you about this initially was the one thing that leapt out at me was in, um, I think it was in the, it was in the very beginning. It was your dad said something to you when you were little. And it was basically like, just don't, you know, don't spend all the time thinking about the things that you should be doing. Just right. Yeah. Do them or don't do them, but don't, don't spend waste time, time on things about outside it. of your control. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that, you know, people always talk about, you know, who, who is it that's living in your head rent free? It's those people that the monkey on your back, the, the, the voices in your head, all those things that are, are taking you down. And you just, you've laid this out in such a way that it just kind of, I kind of like was reading through chapters and I was like, God, how have I been letting this happen to me for so long? Like I've just been letting myself get in my own way because of all these thoughts. And so I think you, you did such a good job in using examples and laying it out in a, in a way that people can take all this advice and, and these learnings in tangible bites and be able to affect change. And I love the little work, the little workbooks at each, you know, the end of each chapter, that was really smart. So how did you come to that kind of, um, that layout of your book that you wanted to share at the end of every chapter, like things that people could take from the book and work on. Um, is that stuff that you were already doing yourself or you learned along the way while writing it? Yeah. So just to rewind a little bit on the, the recognition and realizing like, man, I, I'm doing this of, it is it, so far it's been universal, right? There's yeah. nobody that kind of hears these concepts like, Oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, that doesn't apply to me. I, I'm yeah. Totally they're lying if they I'm are. Sure. <laughs> right? sure. And so I think it, it was understanding the biology of, Oh, this is just a human trait. Like this is how our brains work and mm-hmm. they're kind of working against our needs in terms of mental health and, and mind ownership because of how we've evolved. Uh, and so when it comes to books like this, there are no shortage of books, I don't think, that don't have good ideas and, mm-hmm. and tell good stories and get them all out there. But so much of it, it's you read this book, and like, man, that, that's really interesting. That's great. And then you mm-hmm. put it down and you go to the next book. Right. And the only, you know, this is actually one of the chapters, action is the only thing, right? Mm-hmm. Just the feeling you get or the words on the page in the book or the audio, it doesn't matter if you don't do something with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I, I do put these exercises in. Like there, I do the zero-based calendaring. I do the reviews um, because my life doesn't change and get better unless I'm doing something with these lessons. And I wanted to share those with other people as well of, hey, if this does resonate with you and you do want to change it, what does that actually look like? Instead of just a single illustration of this one person did this one thing, what is something that I could actually go and implement in my own life? Yeah. And that's where really having tools at your disposal was important to me in developing the book. We'll be back in a minute after a word from our premier brand sponsor, Wheelhouse, the ultimate revenue driving machine. If 
you're not using a revenue management tool by now, you're probably falling behind your competitors. I mean, revenue management is a, is a huge part of our owner acquisition strategy. Once again, it really comes down to the analytics and the data behind all of these decisions and being able to explain why your rate should be higher in the second week of July than the first week of July. We have a lot of competitors that have a summertime rate and a wintertime rate, period. We're back with Lance Stitcher from Seaside Vacations. Getting homeowners on board with revenue management can be a challenge. Lance tells us how the information from Wheelhouse allows them to attract and retain homeowners. Very difficult to get owners on board with that. There's no doubt about it. It's a, it's a learning curve. It was probably more of a learning curve for us or as much of a learning curve for us as it was for the owners because we had to learn how to sell and how to explain and how to educate the owners on the changes. And, and they may not have agreed with why their rates were what they were, at, particularly in certain off-peak time periods. We also found huge revenue gains early on with the owners that were early adopters. We all know what it's like to sign up for a new platform or service and be so excited for all the things that were promised by the amazing salesperson, only to be disappointed when the support team is anything but supportive. So we wanted to know, how is Wheelhouse's support? I will be honest in that of all of the software products and technology that we use, that they have the best support. If you want to learn how Wheelhouse can help you 10x your revenue, head over to usewheelhouse.com. They're offering our listeners 50% off your first two months. That's right, 50%. Go to usewheelhouse.com and use promo code AlexAnnie or contact them for a demo and mention this podcast. That's usewheelhouse.com, promo code AlexAnnie. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're all bombarded with information these days, and and like you said, there's no shortage of books or information that you can find to you know just in, increase the, uh, the power of your understanding of a topic or whatever it is, personal development. But uh, I I do think you know I'm I'm not one typically when I read books, I don't always do like the worksheets and stuff like that. I just, for some reason, I never do them. I probably should, but I really just try and think about more how what has been said is relatable to my current situation or a situation that has recently happened. And there were so many in your book that I, I related to, but I think just w- one of the ones I highlighted that was one of my favorites was just the importance of really valuing our time. And you, know, you talk about the importance of valuing your time as an entrepreneur. And one of the stories you mentioned was you had this report that you had been asking your team, like, we want to do this, we want to do this. And and everybody kept saying, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. And nobody did it. And so finally you said, I'm going to do it myself. And you did it over Memorial Day weekend. And and you said, but I wasn't happy. I didn't, I took time away from my family. Did I need to do it that weekend? No. But I, that kind of taught you or that made you reflect on, let's figure out the things that only you can do. And that's something that personally I'm trying to really focus on too, because I, I know I'm definitely somebody that I'm, I'm an only child. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good working in teams, but I'm also really good just working on my own and knowing that I can get things done. But what that does lead to is trying to do everything yourself. And so really trying to figure out what is best, best care or best, um, use of time for for anything that you're working on. I think yeah. that's really where all of us have the ability to to grow and be able to get more done looking at it that way. And it can change with time, right? Mm-hmm. I, this, this concept, I, I don't even think it's in the book, but I go back to a lot, uh, is this two by two matrix of what am I not good at and what am I great at? 
Yeah. And kind of the spectrum. And then what do I hate doing and what do I love doing? Yeah. Yeah. And that can change over time. But the more of my day and the more of my life I can spend in the top right, things mm-hmm. I'm really good at that I enjoy, the happier I am, right? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the more effective I am. And as long as other things are getting done, especially if there's things I'm not good at and they're getting done by people that are better than me at those things, yeah. then the better the company is, the better you know any of it is. Yeah. And so yeah. it really trying to use that lens and not as a one-off. Because mm-hmm. we change, we learn new things yeah. uh, and we can get better. Yeah. I always think of my, my father was a policeman growing up and um in Washington, DC. And at the time, not to, I mean, then anybody wants to brag about it, it was when DC was known as the murder capital of the world. So it was really a bad time to be a police officer. Um, yeah. And he had been, he had, he really honed his skill in crime scene. And so he was doing a lot of work with FBI and CIA and he would, and, and really just would take classes as like a voracious reader. And people would always say, well, why aren't you going for like the next level? Why don't you want to be a chief of police or, you know, why aren't you trying to go to that? And he would always say, put it in these terms and he'd say, you know, there, there are enough chiefs, but not enough Indians. And I'm really happy just being an Indian. There's things that I like to do at my Indian level that are just the skills that I have and the skills that I like. And I just like to be there. And some people are naturally driven to be higher, um, but they're not necessarily happier. It's just kind of like, are you, you know, you have to find that balance and what do you like to do again, Mm -hmm. to your point, what do you Mm -hmm. like to do and what are you driven to do and and find the balance of it? And he never, he was never miserable in that role. He really liked the fact that he could learn more and do more. And so funny enough, when he retired, he moved back to Florida where we are now and they didn't have a crime scene unit at the police force where he, in the town he grew up. So they asked him to start that. So he got to use all of those skills that were deemed, you know, kind of line level, if you will, in the police force and kind of come in and be like a leader where Mm -hmm. he had never thought that was a role that he wanted, but he'd honed all these skills. And so he was still getting to do what he was passionate about. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just what you just said about over time, what you do and what you love sort of changes as to how you maybe use that skill and, and, and work with that skill. So that's a really good thing for people to understand and recognize. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in your father's example, the default is to always want to go to that next level, right? Like that yeah. seems to be the thing we want because it's the next thing, the next Which thing. you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but are, but are why? we? Yeah. I guess, <laughs> right. I guess that's yeah. my question is why are we supposed to do it? And very rarely do people ask, what do they actually want? Yeah. And then the, the next level question that's I think even more important is why do you want that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I want that because society says I should want the next thing. Like, right. Okay. Yeah. But do you also so want to be want? fulfilled? Do you yeah. want to, yeah. there, there are other things you might want and are they your real desires as opposed to ones kind of incepted by your parents or, yeah. or other people yeah. who told you to want certain things? So I think pressures play such a big role in I think people's yeah. drive and determination. It maybe gets them off the path that they it, initially intended or probably should be on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, being fulfilled is, and getting to that point in your career, in your life, where you're looking at things from that lens of what is going to fulfill me, not what is just going to 
fill my cup or what is going to get get me to that next level that really changes how how you make decisions and i know this past year for sure i've really leaned into that and i think it's it's helped me quite a bit but um one one of the things that you also talk about is detaching from results which that's another great concept too and something that's very hard to do but I mean, I, I, I see that a lot in myself and other people that it is, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, you're, you're working so hard, but you're, you're working for that outcome. But um, tell us a little bit about that concept. Cause I think that's, it's a really powerful one that you explained in the book. Yeah. This, this is another one that I, I would say stoicism doesn't have a monopoly on the wisdom in it, right? Like stoics yeah. title, but because Ryan holiday sells a lot of books. The, yeah. The one, so like, <laughs> right. Yeah. It seems Taoism, like he came up with all those. Yeah. Taoism yeah. has the same concept. Buddhism okay. has the same concept. Uh, a lot of their parts of prayer and Judeo-Christian thinking that very similar yeah, concepts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Non-attachment to the results. And there, there are so many different reasons for it, but back to that fulfilled um, one, just because of hedonic adaptation, right? If if all we care about is we'll be happy when we get this result, mm-hmm. then winning and getting that result, the reality is you're going to just go back to your normal level once yeah. you get it, right? That is it's not- never going to be fulfilling when you get there. <laughs> right. Because you're just going to yeah. see the next thing, right? It's yeah. The, the guy that, oh man, I'll, I'll have it when I get a Lamborghini and he gets a yeah. Lamborghini and then sees a Bugatti and like yeah. it doesn't stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's one reason. And if you can focus on the process instead, that's yeah. the ongoing thing. If you can enjoy what you're doing instead, so say, oh, in 20 years when I get X, I will be yeah. happy. Say, what is the process that I can spend the next 20 years doing to be happy today for all yeah, of those 20 right. years, because that thing is probably not going to be the thing that makes me happy. Yeah, There's a whole separate part on what we control and what we don't, right? We do not control the result. The The default answer or the, the easy kind of case to understand is in sports, where you have two separate teams mm-hmm. of both can control the training they do, both can control the nutrition they have, how much sleep they get, the getting the right equipment, all that. But Neither can control the result because they're mm-hmm. playing against each other. And if the only thing they can take away or care about is the result, then one of them in 50% of the time, they're going to be dissatisfied and they may take the wrong lessons, mm-hmm. right? They could have done terrible preparation and terrible plan, but the other team, you know, somebody gets the flu and they end up being able to win and say, okay, this is great. Like we're, we're totally set for the next time we play. They took mm-hmm. the wrong lesson from that. And so really making sure in focusing on the process, you're focusing on what you can control and focusing on what you can influence. Mm -hmm. It's just back to that fulfillment, back to that uh, fulfilled life. You're in a much better position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the lines or one of the concepts you also talk about is that you talk about Seneca and he says that you suffer more in your mind than in reality, but you, it's, you need to play out the worst case scenarios. Like you talk about that too. So I guess my question was, I mean, you suffer more in your mind than reality, but you talk about playing out worst case scenarios. How do those two go together? Because I feel yeah. like it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit counterintuitive how you've talked about that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take each in turn because that okay. that is one that certainly seems like, wait, how do you? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the idea of suffering more in imagination than reality and suffering more than once is 
there's something that's going to happen or we think might happen in a week or two weeks or a year yeah. or two years. And we're suffering at, before this thing ever happens. We're yeah. so angst. Right. We're so concerned. We're looking at case rates or what, you know, the yeah. war or whatever it is. Um, and then the thing happens and we suffer through that. And then thing has happened. And we look back like, Oh, that was so terrible. And thinking and, and still giving our mind back to this thing from the past. And Seneca's point is before it and after it, why, why are you suffering? Like yeah, there's only yeah. the time that's the only time there should be, if there's going to have to be suffering, it should only be in that moment, right? the, the dread before and the, the concern after. So mm-hmm. you can kind of get that of why mm-hmm. would I extend and prolong, but how do you tie that to playing out the worst case of preparing? Mm-hmm. Now, suffering is different than preparing just because you're imagining, Hey, what is the worst thing that could happen? doesn't okay. mean you have to yeah. suffer. You right. say, okay. I can't control that, but back to focusing not on the results, but the process, what I can focus on is what can I do now to make that less painful, to Mm -hmm. make that less likely? And what are the things I can put in place? What are the pieces of work I could do ahead of time Mm -hmm. to make this, you know, go from a 90% chance of occurring to a 10% chance to go from a 10 on a 10 point scale of pain to a two on a 10 point scale of pain. And so the, the idea of not suffering isn't to necessarily like be an ostrich and put your head, head in the sand and pretend it's not going to happen. It's saying, hey, don't just sit there and suffer. Do something. Think about it. Yeah, think Action, about it. It's more right? proactive. Like, it's yeah, kind of like exactly. hurricane preparation. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. sitting there saying that. And I and I and I think like so ever since so we had a hurricane here, 2018, Hurricane Michael, and it was it was horrible. And I'd been through several before and nothing had been bad. It had always been like, oh, everybody panic. And so I was sort of complacent and then this one happened and it was bad. And so every storm after that, because I was here for it, every storm is like dread now. And even though Mm. I know I can prepare for it, it's that, will it be the same mentality? You know, I think it's in your mind, but to Mm. your point, it's like, I know that there are things that I can do to mitigate some of the the awfulness of it. There's going to be things I can't control and I won't know until they happen and you have to just kind of embrace it. But I think that that's like, for me, that's an easy way to break it down is like, you know, it's coming. You're going to have to deal with it. What are the things that you can do right now to be prepared for the worst that you know could happen? I think, I mean, the main thing is it's just taking action, even if it's mentally taking action in your mind of like, taking, you know, assessment of what could potentially happen and what you can do. I mean, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's just thinking through things, but that at least it puts you in the right path of you have that fulfillment of knowing that you have a little bit more control. And ultimately, I think that's where all of us, you know, we feel better when we're in control, but when you are just worrying about something or just, you know, playing out the anxiety in your mind, you have no control at that point. So putting action into how you think about these things is key. And it's personalized. I mean, mm-hmm. far less extreme than a hurricane. I, I think back when, when I was a consultant and you have minimum two flights every week, right? Like going to the client, coming back. And you had these consultants say, Hey, if I'm not missing at least five flights a year, I get to the airport too early. I, mm-hmm. I want the minimum amount of time at the airport, et cetera, et cetera. And, <laughs> but mine's the exact opposite. Like, does it hurt me to be an hour early and yeah. get some work done at the airport? Right. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, for me, that wasn't the answer. My preparation wasn't, hey, I'm going to prepare mentally to say, hey, I'm just going to miss some flights this year because I yeah. want to be tight. I'd rather prepare to say, I'm always going to be there on time yeah. so that yeah. I know I'm getting home that day. I, right. I'd rather yeah. have 
more of that. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't a, it's not a peanut butter answer, right? It, it's mm-hmm. different for different people. And back to really thinking through the question and the answers for yourself are important. Yeah, absolutely. So do you, this book and and where, where you're going to go with it in the future, do you talk to your team about these types of learnings and, and just theories or, you know, how, how does this work into your daily life? Yeah, it's, yeah, I, I think there's some <laughs> very specific examples in the book of bringing up of, okay, you know, what, what influences what's going to happen? Well, case yeah. rates and what the government does and what travelers are like, okay, great. What are those things do we control? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't control any of that. Okay. Well then let's stop spending our conversations on this. Let's stop spending our mind on that. What do we control? Oh, well, how we serve clients. Great. Let's go mm-hmm. put our mind there. Um, the calendaring thing, definitely work with the team on that and this idea of zero-based calendaring. And Can you explain control. that a little bit too? Yeah, I, I, I was concept. confused about that one. But. <laughs> yeah. So it's so much of our calendars, especially now that we have a book on my Calendly links. Right. Yeah. We yeah. literally yeah. other Tell people about about time. <laughs> own our time and then you're like, look yeah. at the day and say, okay, what time do I still have? Because yeah. I've given it exactly. all the way yeah. to these other people. And the idea of zero-based calendaring is saying, okay, wipe all that and say, if I was going to design the ideal day, week, month, what would that look like? How much of my time would I be doing creative work? How much of that time would I be interfacing directly with clients, whether it's in person or on Zoom? How much time would I be researching and learning? How much time would I be with my direct reports and other team mm-hmm. members or you know, going through and really designing that out? And then saying, okay, is is that 100% workday or is that 120% workday? Um, if it's 120%, what what needs to give? How is it everything loses 20% or is it uh, this is a hard and fast, I need definitely this much time with clients. I'm not going to give on that. And so these other pieces have to go. And then proactively, once you have that mapped out, looking ahead at your calendar and saying, okay, did I actually adhere to this or not? And there are things with Calendly you can have different kinds of links. So if you say, mm-hmm. I'm only going to make myself available for 60 minutes a week to non-clients and non-team members mm-hmm. that they can book with me, then you can have a Calendly link that is literally just 60 minutes on Thursday from two to three o'clock Eastern. And yeah. anybody asks you for time, you say, yeah, this is the Calendly link. And if there's not time until December yeah, that's and what happens. <laughs> yeah, but that, really that, that's, yeah. that happens. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a separate link of, hey, for my team, here's open time that is always going to be for them. And you, so you can use technology yeah. for that, or you can just proactively manage your calendar to that. And if it gets out of whack, you go and look and say, hey, unfortunately, some stuff came up. I'm going to have to move this back two weeks. Um, yeah. But it's just like the the zero based comes from instead of looking at what our calendar is and trying to tweak on the edges, it's saying if I didn't have anything on and I was designing from the ground up, what would what I would I want? To be? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if you don't design your life, you're going to end up with something that a bunch of other people didn't design. Yeah, because they're not thinking about you; they're thinking about them. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's. <laughs> 
Yeah, we uh, we we learned. I don't know if you're going to tell the story. We yeah, no, we, I got it. No, <laughs> we're both on the cusp. Sorry. <laughs> so we 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 learned uh, very quickly when we started the podcast that we we needed to do that, and so we we use Calendly, and actually it works great. But we at first we just made it so we had our shared calendars between the two of us, and just let people pick whatever times they wanted to come on for their pre-call and their uh, interview, and it was just all over the place, and so we towards the beginning of this year said, okay, we're going to block off which days we want to do recordings and which days we want to do pre-calls. And I think that's allowed us to really get it under control a lot more because in our regular businesses, we, we both have tons of meetings too. So it, it's, uh, it, it yeah. can add up, but taking control of that definitely helps. So I totally recommend that and Calendly to anybody who's listening. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Andrew, um, so I think one of the things I actually wanted to ask you was kind of like so moving from the book, like what does the next phase for rented look like? Are you are you going to write another book, but how you implemented all of these great things from your book at rented and what the outcome was? Or are you guys, what, you know, what's the future look like for rented? Yeah, I would I would separate out rented from the, the book. You know, yeah. this was kind of a, a passion project that sure. grew out of my role there. But for rented, it's it has been from all the businesses really serving the local property manager. Mm-hmm. And there was the, the stat when I first came into the industry in 2012 that really stuck out to me. And it was at that time, there were 6 billion available hotel bed nights. And there were estimated unused vacation rentals, second home investment property equivalents of 7.2 billion. We had wow. more than existed with hotels. And so we didn't have to go build all these hotels. We didn't need all this construction, all this new stuff. We needed mm-hmm. to use what we had better. Right. And just firmly believe that better and more professional management was the answer. That we get more of these homeowners to put their properties in. That we get more guests to want to come and stay and continue to stay mm-hmm. in vacation rentals instead of in hotels. And so, you know, the mission at Brended is and has been to serve those local managers and those local communities. And we do that trying to help them make the most money possible through revenue management. But I I think we're going to keep working on that mission in any way that we can keep seeing opportunities to do that more and better. We're going to continue to do that. Awesome. Well, that's that's a pretty good prognosis for yeah, the future, no right there. <laughs> I love it. Exciting. I love it. So we had also we had sent you some questions that uh, if we had time at the end, we like to ask, and you had given us a couple. So the one that I would like to ask is, what is one memory that you wish you could relive again? Yeah, there's there's one the the first night uh, I went away every single night when my daughter was born, I would hold her. Uh, and play Macklemore's Growing Up and like dance with her oh, yeah, to that. this song. And then I had this playlist and we would do bath time and then I'd read her a story and do milk uh, and then sing her like made up lullabies <laughs> until she fell asleep. And then the first night I was away, I was going to a friend's wedding that I grew up with. He moved to Dallas and I was away for just one night. I like flew out that afternoon, came back first thing next morning. And when I came home, she had been napping. Her and my wife were both asleep. So I just kind of stayed near the room so I could hear her to let my wife sleep. And I heard her rustling. And I went into the bed, bedroom and she saw me and her eyes got so big. And she just oh. wrapped onto my <laughs> oh. shirt and held on for dear life and then pushed yeah. me away and just looked to make sure I was real. <laughs> right. And then pulled me and did that five or six times and just looking and oh then holding God. me so close. <laughs> and yeah, I, 
this may or may not be a story I like wrote out and reread every now and then because yeah. it, it really is like the the most powerful moment in my life for me. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so great. I think whenever you have that, like that human, it's, it's the human connections that just really you hold dear and, and your children and, and Alex has dogs and I have dogs and, <laughs> and, but I have one son and, and I can think of some times where it's just like that, that, that genuine, like just expression on their face that they're, you, you don't know how you did it. You don't know how you got it, but it's so, it's such a connection and that you just couldn't ever replace it. And you'll always hold that, you know, hold that very dear. And you'll think of that when you're 80 and, you know, yeah. married with her kids. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's great. So um, the question that I wanted to ask was um, what is the w- most important personal attribute that you bring to your job about you that you bring to your job? I think it's curiosity <laughs> of if you think about the 10 year journey and the different businesses and business models and product changes product innovation, this curiosity of, Hey, what's, what's happening in the space, right? Like not, Oh, I'm so smart. I knew this, right. I, in 2015, I wrote this, this is what's going to happen in the industry. But then I was curious and kept watching like, no, that's, that's not, we kind of leapfrogged. Yeah. Totally that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I think the, the open-mindedness that comes with that curiosity and it, I think in turn attracts really curious, amazing people to the team. Because I think they see it and they get excited by it. We just kind of feed off each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you ha- you have an incredible team, and we know several mm-hmm. of of your staff, and it's it's just been such a pleasure getting to know everybody and you also, and just seeing Rented grow and evolve through the years. I think that's one thing that's just exciting about the time that we're in in vacation rentals. I mean, to reference Terry White again, he was uh, in the front row of our panel at Darm, and he he said to the people on our panel, he said, you know, we are all literally writing the history books of this industry, you know, and I think that's yeah. a, a powerful thing, but it is, it is the truth. And it's fun to have a front row seat to, to see all of it and see technology like rented, you know, really taking the reins. Yeah. It's, it's been a fun ride so far and I'm looking forward to it. Another 10. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Andrew, and just excited and, and congratulations on the book. I, I hope that everybody goes out and get it. It gets it. What let's do two things. How can they contact you and how can they get the book? <laughs> yeah. So uh, the book is get out of my head, creating modern clarity with stoic wisdom. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, audible. It, it, it's all the, all the things Perfect. you, you the things. get, but Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I got to say all the different sites, but you can get it basically anywhere. Okay. Uh, local bookshop can order it. And then connecting with me, LinkedIn's probably the best place that, that seems okay. to be uh, where Annie and I are very, very active. Yeah. Uh, in right. the UK, uh, it's like, <laughs> that seems to be the place. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll include that in the show notes. And I, I know I listened to the book. I did it on audio. I don't know if I already said that or not, but I I really love the audio version of it. And I think you said you got it done in like a day, which is it incredible. was two. They they had four blocks, but it, okay. It well, two. you did it a yeah. really good job. And honestly, I was since this is your first one, I was like, oh, I don't know if it'll be a good audio book, but it was an excellent <laughs> audio book. And Thank I think, you. especially since I, I know you, I'm, I'm really glad I did it that way because the story is just connected a lot better, but very cool. <laughs> Thank Alex, you so much, it's been amazing. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much, Andrew. We will talk to you soon. If anybody wants to contact Annie and I, you can go to alexandannypodcast.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thanks. And now a final word from our premier brand sponsor, Wheelhouse, the ultimate revenue driving machine.
if you are if you're overpriced you you will be empty and if you are underpriced you will fill up extremely fast but the market will always tell you what the correct price is there will always have to be a human factor involved in the process uh, at least that's the way i feel about it i don't think that i don't think ai is going to overtake the industry entirely if you want to learn more about how Wheelhouse can help you 10x your revenue, head over to usewheelhouse.com. They're offering our listeners 50% off your first two months. That's right, 50%. Go to usewheelhouse.com and use promo code AlexAnnie or contact them for a demo and mention that you heard about them on the Alex and Annie podcast. 